0: Hello and welcome to Water Source, the podcast series from the catchment team here at Doorkymry Welsh Water. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring Welsh Water's proactive approach to looking after water in the environment. And we'll be meeting a range of partners to learn about what work they're involved with that might be relevant to our own, to see what we can learn from each other and explore ways of working together. My name is Dave Ashford, and today I'm joined by Andy Sowerby. Um Hello Andy, how are you?
1: Hi Dave, good to be here. Thanks for asking us, all right. I'm uh, uh, representing Comfor today, which is the Confederation of Forest Industries that has a, has a GB role to support sustainable forestry and wood using businesses. Uh, and I'm active in Wales, and I'm the regional manager of Pryor and Rickett silver Silverculture. And I've been uh, working w- with the uh, Brecon Beacons Mega Catchment uh, Group for a number of years now.
0: What we're doing at the moment, this podcast is a new venture for us. We're still learning our way through it, so thanks for being one of our guinea pigs. Um, but what we wanted to do was to release a few short episodes to coincide with UN's World Water Day on March the 22nd. The theme for this year's World Water Day is the value of water and what it means to you, to your business, to your livelihood, to your to your culture. Um, so I just wondered, could you give us a few thoughts on what the value of water
1: is to you? Sure. I, the Ultimately, water alongside soil and air is, is our medium for for growing trees. So it's it, it's, a, it's a primary input and we have to uh, we have to. Plan our woodlands and and our forest operations in such a way that uh, we're we're managing water and keeping it clean and uh, and usable for people downstream and uh, and we rely on on those upstream to keep water in a similar condition and we're also conscious that uh, in terms of the balance of of, of trees and other habitats that um, that that proportion is uh, relates to you know how you know how good water quality is so it's just a fundamental that we're custodians of and uh, we share responsibility alongside Welsh Water in that respect and it's why we're active on the Brecon Beacons Mega Catchment Group. But as
0: you've mentioned it, the Brecon Beacons Mega Catchment is very much about working collaboratively and working with a range of partners to try and deliver a range of benefits at the same time by coordinating ourselves. So um, I was just wondering if you could give us a few insights into kind of collaboration or partnership working that you've been involved with to really kind of bring to life those, those benefits of working together.
1: Sure. I think that there are lots of uh, lots of examples um, to sort of list a few and then unpack them. You have uh, examples such as vega um, which is one of the uh, woodlands that um Prime Rickett has established in the last 10 years, which is sequestering carbon, one of our flagship forests that is sequestering carbon. But we've done it alongside um, our neighbours and, and local farmers in collaboration. Uh, I'm also involved in Welcome to Our Woodlands, which is an active community group in Treherbert that are looking to get more involved in um, deciding the forest management objectives and and steering woodland management and generating jobs in in the local area. And, um, you you know, any forest operations that we do where we're likely to have a large impact, we're usually engaging with neighbours and getting a sense of where they're um whether they've got any vulnerabilities or or any opportunities we could take to work with them to to get more out of it. And a lot of the time when we're collaborating, we're usually having to navigate a process of change. And and that's when consultation comes into its own, even though many people approach it um in a defensive way. But ultimately when you get consultation right, you can get something you can get an outcome that was much greater than what you set out to in the first place and where you can make time for collaboration and you know the possibility of, of doing something that's more significant than what you set out to do is is it's alluring if nothing else
0: I think I think that's the key is it? making time for that collaboration um and bringing all those extra voices into the conversation that wouldn't normally be part of that conversation so you mentioned a moment ago that uh, community project in the valleys um any w- were there any kind of light bulb moments were there any kind of Weird and wonderful ideas that that came out from that community involvement that you wouldn't have otherwise have thought of
1: well, that's an example of, of of an ongoing process but i i um what was in terms of making time for it and being open to collaboration um I got involved in that because I happened to go along to a a um a craft there in Pontypridd where I live and welcome to our woodlands had a stand and I I happened to miss the chap who was having his lunch Ian who was on the stand. So I contacted him just because I was, you know, I was working in the private sector locally and I thought I'll give him a ring and just introduce myself. And then Ian was like, well, do you want to come up and talk about it some more? And then it just so happened that they were at a point where they needed some professional forestry advice. So I ended up working with them on a more formal way. And actually it's allowed us in some of those conversations, applying a professional perspective with a focus on trees has helped maybe move thinking on in in different ways um, or help shape it, but not to control it, which which has been really good. but I think a really important insight is that if you know professional foresters and professional land managers are able to make that time and plan that time in so that they're usually having you know a few hours a week of that perspective, just chatting and engagement with people you you lay the 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 foundations for future discussions that might be more profound and more productive. So, for example, um, actually happens in business in terms of, you know, I've had people come to me to talk about woodland creation and they've they've been recommended to me because I've had decent conversations with people, not as a private sector forester, but as a public sector forester. You know, they, it, there's an irony in that actually having good relationships throughout your career, you never know actually when. The you know the positive conversation is going to cycle back round, which you should take for granted as a forester, because you're usually thinking on those timescales. Why wouldn't you think on those kind of timescales for relationships as well? I think
0: the timescales is an important factor, isn't it? Because um, you know there's a lot of discussion at the moment about planting more trees for carbon sequestration for other environmental benefits. But are you seeing as well is there more of an appetite for planting trees at the moment in terms of business diversification or for other kind of agricultural benefits?
1: Uh, it's, it's quite mixed. Um, so some of the headlines are that, you know, the feedback that we're getting from um, Welsh Government in terms of Glacier Woodland Creation 10 is that it's oversubscribed significantly and um, not all the schemes will necessarily go through. So there, there, is, a, there is a real appetite for creating woodlands. Um, there's interest in agroforestry um, and we've certainly done cricket bat willows and we've worked on agroforestry sites. We've got clients that do pears alongside in a silver pastoral system with sheep. Um, and they're really interesting. But one of the one of the gritty parts of agroforestry, which a landowner really has to be affair with is um have they got the capacity and the bandwidth to work on the two products simultaneously? And, and are they resourced to do that? And where they can do that, they can really reap the benefits. And and then they have to think about scale as well. Would are they prepared to scale it up? In terms of carbon, there's real, real interest in carbon. And People want to do it at scale. Um, People want to do it at small scale, and the eddy currents of complexity come into play. But we can talk about them, and that you can always chart a course uh, to solutions. And it's a matter then for the for the landowner to kind of assess whether you know what what appetite they've got for you know undertaking larger schemes or smaller schemes. But carbon's an interesting interesting one because what we really try and encourage um, people to do when they're thinking about creating woodlands with a view to Uh, registering for the woodland under the woodland carbon code for carbon credits is to think about you know if the woodland's going to be there for perpetuity what what is the raison d'etre for the woodland beyond carbon because you know it's not unreasonable to look forward to a world beyond accounting for carbon in an emergency sense actually you know there'll be a post carbon existence for you know generations down the line and uh, those woodlands will still be there and we'll still want to use them sustainably
0: alongside carbon and business diversification and all of the other multitude of good reasons to plant trees, um, does water ever come into the conversation when you're dealing with farmers or other landowners or other people interested in planting trees at whatever scale, does stabilising banks to prevent erosion into watercourses or as a buffer against watercourses, does that ever come up in the in the conversation?
1: It does and we probably as foresters do ourselves a little injustice by not speaking about it because it's you know, we've had the forest and water guidelines since the early 80s, which very much set the turn for taking opportunities to diversify woodlands and have buffers, planning and buffers along watercourses. So that actually, you know, when you're doing forest operations, you may have a relatively fallow, benign piece of forest by your watercourse. So should there be, you know, extremely heavy rainfall or, um, you know, an incident with a landslide or something, then there is a, there is a level of land that will... Take um, sediment before it actually gets into the water. So we we probably take for granted a lot of the good planning decisions that we make. So um, the UK Forestry Standard and the UK Woodland Assurance um, Standard they all require foresters to plan woodlands so that you have buffers in and around stream sides and that you have you know you know it's, it's where we plant a lot of our broadleaf trees when we're trying to create diversity. Actually, we want to manage a crop. Away from a stream, and and we we make a lot of those decisions, um, not subconsciously or on autopilot, but there it's very much part of our standard playbook.
0: Because one of the things I'm really interested in is is how to engage people over those. More tangible, real-world benefits of planting trees, or managing habitats, or managing soils. You know, you know, what are the what are the benefits of undertaking that um, beyond the the value of a payment scheme, for example, in terms of protecting your soils or protecting your farm for future generations, uh, uh, etc. So that's what I'm really interested in, and in how you have those conversations with people, and how you share that knowledge and best practice, and find the right language and terminology to go along with that as the policy and funding environment changes over the next couple of years it'd be really interesting to see how that develops and how people start taking on those different messages i think to 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 plan the long-term uh nature of projects like tree planting uh and and land exchange
1: see my hook when i talk to people is about um history um when i'm trying to relate to people one of the problems you have with woodlands and trees is that we're dealing on time scales that people tend not to think about. So so I'll meet a stakeholder or I'll, I'll meet someone that I'm, I'm working alongside and they're focusing on the immediate issue in front of them. And more often than not, I find myself kind of saying, well, you do realise that at the end of the Second World War, we were down to 2% forest cover. And that's as a result of having had the Forestry Commission already for 20 years. And a lot of the woodlands that we're managing now um, were planted in the 1950s and 60s. These woodlands that are being celebrated as part of the National Forest Initiative by the First Minister, you know, they, they've showcased, you know, 14 of the woodlands that they've showcased are these classic woodlands that were created in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And ultimately, the Forestry and Water Guidelines can come in in 1982, but it's going to take us 50 years to implement all those improvements as we work through the rotation. So giving people that perspective allows them to just kind of Take a breath because usually I've taken five minutes to say it, and then actually, it flows. It flows then, and it and it, it creates that common ground. And, and one of the big projects I'm working on uh, um, a Wefer, Welsh European Funding Office project um, under the Cooperative Forest Planning Scheme, called Enhancing Common Land with Trees. And we've been speaking to graziers on different commons in and around Wales because we've got the funding to look at strategic ways of increasing woodland cover across Wales, and the the commons being the commons you know you've got the best part of 200,000 hectares of common land um where 9,000 hectares are scored positively under glaciated woodland creation but because the commons are a complex area that are steeped in history in the same way that forestry is it needs time you know to meet with communities and graziers and interest groups just to get a feel for well what could be possible and um that's that's an example of where you, you actually have to give each other time, share a bit of history, recognize the common ground, not apply undue pressure in terms of time scales and actually see where your ideas can take you. And 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 the baseline is mutual respect. And if you can if you can offer that and have conversations, even if the conversations end in disagreement, if the if the disagreement can happen in a space of mutual respect, then at least you know that you don't need to continue walking down the path together and you you can both put your attention to something more positive. So every time I fell a tree, that was, that's been received over 40 years at the very least. And, you know, I've, I've felled trees that are a hundred years old and they've gone into um, local timber mills in South Wales. And it's gone into, you know, that carbon is locked up for hundreds of years because it's a piece of, you know, prime oak grown for a hundred years and it will go into furniture um, that will honor the tree far longer than the tree could do it itself and and that tree was removed from the canopy um, and the canopy was maintained and the natural regeneration was allowed it to grow and forestry is it, it's an incredibly humbling occupation you can never do enough um, outreach and engagement with the wider community because you know we're in a place with trees at the end of the day. Whether, whether you think the whole of the UK was high forest of, of native trees or whether you think it was more, um, uh, you know, kind of woodland pasture or whatever, there were more trees um, pre-humans in the UK than than there are now. And our, our short-time horizons as people, and I include myself in that, despite being a forester, um, we have to be reminded of it and, and we're duty-bound to do it as foresters. And that's why it's, it's a privilege to be able to speak with you both today.
0: This I think is something that we'd really like to explore more maybe in future conversations about how we get better at explaining and communicating over that the longevity of managing woodlands or habitats or soils or, or even bloodlines and livestock and you know, investing in that longer term and it's not so much about the immediate or short term paybacks. So I think that's definitely something we can explore a bit more often. Also, you've mentioned common land there we're interested in common land because common land makes up a huge proportion of our drinking water catchments. Um, And as we embark on talking to graziers and landowners about things that we'd like to change or to manage or to retain on common land as well to benefit of water. I think, again, it's one of those other conversations that we need to have to explore how we work together. You've used the phrase mutual respect as well. So how we work together, respect the different outcomes that we're all trying to achieve and plan a future on those areas that, that suits all of us.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, I can tell you how to grow trees till the cows come home. One of the realities is a lot of people know how to grow trees, just everyday people. The you know where I add value is is having a depth of knowledge that you know most average people don't have, but also to do it at scale. But in whatever situation you're collaborating in, if you can frame it so that people can speak quite freely about what they do and and don't have to be defensive about it then you create that space where they can kind of go, but if I could do it this way, this different kind of a way, um, that would be an opportunity. And then the two parties or the three parties involved, if they're able to indulge those ideas and suggestions of each other, because they feel that sense of mutual respect and reassurance, all kinds of things can happen. And, you know, that's what we're hoping the um, the project enhancing common land with trees will do over time. And it may not bear fruit in terms of tangible projects, um, but you know, there's there's plenty to to talk about and to go at, and Welsh government have been you know they've applied a bit of foresight in actually doing that funding. So it's interesting times, and uh, yeah, it would be great to to build projects in that respect. We'll have to see where it goes.
0: So even if no trees go in the ground, at least there'll be a lot of learning has been undertaken yeah. with a lot of conversation, a lot of valuable conversations. and a lot
1: Yeah, of yeah. And, and this is the other thing to say about, you know, to people as well is, is, you know, a lot of trees going in the ground, it's it's fewer than you think. That, that You know, people need to remember that, that Wales is only 13% woodland cover. So if you were to double it, Wales would only be 26% woodland cover and the European average is in the high 20s. So, you know, anything that we, any trees that we put in the ground, they're not going to have, a, a massive impact on the Welsh landscape, but they will have an impact. And if we want that impact to be positive, we blum and will have to talk about it.
0: I think that sounds like a good place to leave it for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Andy. Like I said, this was meant to be an introductory podcast and lots of subjects there we can explore in more detail at a later date. And we'd really enjoy if you came back in future and told us how this
1: project it's was a about pleasure. You. Thanks for having me. It's been grand. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode of Water Source.